Welcome to episode five of Retire Eyes Wide Open. I'm Scott Lamborg. On today's episode, trust. How do you know if you can trust your advisor? Do you have too much trust? Not enough? Who's worthy of your trust? And is it more than just a feeling? We'll review this week's news and the money rundown. We'll talk about the best thing I saw this week. And our Scott Strategy segment and listener questions are all about whether or not you can trust the professionals in your life and how to hold them accountable. This is Retire Eyes Wide Open. Welcome to Retire Eyes Wide Open. Don't go into retirement with your eyes closed. Go into it with your eyes wide open. If your financial advisor and tax advisor aren't talking, someone Someone isn't doing their job. There are two systems in this country, one for the informed and one for the uninformed. You can't turn back the clock. You can only get better for the future. You're going to look back at this moment 20 years from now, and you want to know you did everything you could to position your financial life. The world is changing, and so is retirement. Hi, my name is Scott Lamborg, and I'm here to help you retire with your eyes wide open. That means having the information you need and the clarity you deserve. It means understanding and interpreting the world as it changes. It means knowing about investments, taxes, social security and estate planning, and how they're all connected. And probably most important, it's about living your best retirement life, the good life. You know, I meet with thousands of retirees. I see people doing it right. I see people doing it wrong. And I'm gonna show you how to retire with your eyes wide open. The strategies and concepts discussed are for educational purposes only and do not represent specific investment tax or estate planning advice. Investing carries an inherent element of risk and it is in everyone's best interest to consult a tax legal or investment professional. Scott Lamborg is an investment advisor representative of and advisory services are offered through USA Financial Securities Corp, member FINRA and SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Sterling Wealth Partners is not affiliated with USA Financial Securities. And now for the money monologue. Trust. Today we're talking about trusting your financial professionals. How do you know who to trust? Are you trusting too much? Are you not trusting enough? It's a critical question that many people face. How do you trust your spouse, your kids, your friends, let alone how do you trust the financial professionals in your life? People struggle with this question. I asked someone in my office what advice they'd give their mother, and their answer? Their answer was, it's a feeling. That trust, it's a feeling. We're going to tackle this subject today from a number of angles. We're going to talk about what it looks like when you trust too much and the possible pitfalls. We're going to talk about people that don't trust enough and how to get over it. We're going to talk about who is worthy of your trust. And when it comes to professionals in your life, it has to be more than just about feelings. It has to be more than just about feelings. It has to be. Too many people have gotten into trouble trusting slick salespeople that sold them down the river. When it comes to your financial life, the stakes are high. You've got to make the right decision, the best decision you can. At the same time, you've got to understand that by doing nothing or by not trusting enough, you can set yourself up for some big mistakes. So what are some initial signals if you're looking to hire a professional that should make you more trusting and give you more confidence? What should you be looking for in a professional to trust? One, that they educate you instead of selling you. The best professionals today are not selling you anything. If you feel sold to or hard sold, run away. There are plenty of great professionals out there that will spend the time to educate you. If you're in a financial planner's office and it's a one size fits all strategy, go meet with somebody else. You're being sold something. You need to be educated about what your options are. If someone's educating you, you should be more inclined to give them some of your trust. Two, 
are they balanced in their approach? Beware of extremes. Beware of professionals that take absolute views like, I would never under any circumstances buy an annuity, or I would never have my money in the stock market, it's a casino. An advisor needs to have a level head, someone that can keep their cool and analyze the positives and the negatives of different investment strategies. And that's someone that'd be worthy of your trust. Someone that doesn't take those extreme views, but someone that has a balanced approach to the advice that they're giving you. Three, they're comfortable with questions. Pepper your advisor with questions. First, to test their competency, but also to make sure they're okay with questioning. No strategy, no investment approach should be engaged in blindly, and they need to be able to stand up to scrutiny. Any advisor that makes it seem that they don't want your questions, that they're too important, or that you are not trusting enough, beware. This is a common thing in the financial planning world. Salespeople like to sell one investment, one annuity, one mutual fund, but you need to ask them why. And the ones worthy of your trust will be perfectly okay with that. Four, they're qualified and independent. I started in this business over 17 years ago, and I've always worked for independent firms. But I had friends of mine that weren't so lucky. They went to work for XYZ brokerage firm, and despite being great people, and despite having great intentions, they were limited in the investment solutions they could provide. When I could recommend 50 different money managers, they were limited to two or three. When I could recommend 30 different annuity solutions, they were limited to one or two. I worked with a client recently that loved their advisor. They were good friends. And their good friend advisor recommended an annuity, the only annuity that she could. By taking an independent look and shopping around, we were able to increase her income by over 25%. It's not because her advisor was bad. It's not that she couldn't be trusted. But that advisor lacked access to the independence to align her interests more closely with the client. Make sure they're qualified, make sure they're independent, make sure they have the tools in their toolbox to not only help you, but to be worthy of your trust. Five, that they're willing to give advice contrary to their own interests. This is a hard one to find, but I see it when dealing with social security and pensions. An advisor that's telling you to take that lump sum pension and invest it with him or her may be acting in their own self-interest, not necessarily yours. One that advises you to take that pension at your employer because they can't beat the rates, maybe he or she's worth a little more trust. What do I mean by that? Well, it's in their interest to recommend you take a lump sum because they're gonna collect fees or commissions based on that recommendation. For them to recommend you to keep it where it is, it's kind of against their self-interest to do that. And someone that's willing to give you that type of advice, that's one you should be able to listen to a little more and give them a little more trust. Six, they have credibility in the marketplace. Google your advisor, look at their website, look at their broker check. Do they have any complaints? Now, advisors don't have Yelp reviews. Finner doesn't allow testimonials, but you can look at their involvement in the community. Are they published? Are they quoted by publications? Do they have a podcast or videos where they express their opinions? Do they do it with their iPhone or does it have some production value? What do some of their writings or recordings tell you about who they are, about what they do, and about if they do it well? Those are my six signs that someone is worthy of your trust as an advisor. Later in the show, we're going to talk about people that trust too much or ones that don't trust enough. And remember, with the professionals in your life, it has to be more than just a feeling. And that's our money monologue for the week. And now for the money rundown. Our money rundown segment is where we cover the week's news. There's a lot of media sources out there that are going to give you updated information about the economy and the markets. My job is to help summarize and synthesize, help pick out a few stories that are most important for you as a retiree or an investor. 
Story number one, longest bull market ever in the S&P 500. In late August, the S&P 500 index set a record for the length of the bull market now over 10 years. The last low of the S&P was March 9th, 2009, when it hit 666. It's up over 300% since then. The last longest was from 1990 to 2000. So what does that mean for you? Let's open some champagne. Woohoo! Everyone loves a bull market. And this has been a bull market shared by much of the market. In the late 90s, it was mostly technology. But today, the benefits have been much more broad. Did you get enough of the market as it charged higher? Have you seen the results in your portfolio? And what will you do if things go in the other direction? That's the question you need to answer. We're due for recession. No one knows when. One year, three years, five years from now, make sure your retirement plan doesn't get interrupted by the end of happy times. Story number two, corporate profits run higher. According to the Commerce Department, corporate profits rose by 16% as of the end of the second quarter. Corporate taxes into the U.S. Treasury are down 33%, and the U.S. economy grew at 4.2% annual rate in the second quarter. How does that impact you? Well, this economy is strong. Companies are earning more profits, and there's some real strength to this economic growth. The market is going higher because companies are making more money, not just because prices are being bid up. So let's see how how long this rally can go. And when you're analyzing your portfolio, when you're analyzing your investments, or you're thinking about retirement, you do need to think about that next recession, but you need to keep asking yourselves, am I capturing enough of this upside as this market goes higher? And understand there's, there's real reasons why it continues to go higher. Story number three, the Fed keeps raising rates. September 26th, the Fed raised rates again and projected lifting it another quarter percent by the end of the year. The Fed funds rate currently sits at between 2% and 2.25%, and they project more increases over the next year, finally leveling off at 3.4% in 2020 and 2021. Why does that matter for you? Well, the Fed is putting a slight break on the economy, making it more expensive to borrow for mortgages, credit cards, and auto loans. If you own bonds in your portfolio, you have to remain concerned. Bonds are down over 3% year to date. And for the past four years, they've really had a challenge making any money. You need to ask yourself and your advisor, why do we have bonds in our portfolio? Are there alternatives? What are we doing to manage risk in a rising rate environment. This is critical. They've told us what they're going to do. The Fed's told us what they're going to do. They're going to keep raising rates for the next couple years. How do you respond? How do you respond? What are you going to do differently? Ask yourself that question. Anybody managing your money, hold them accountable. You know, more equities with the sell discipline might be worth exploring. Lower risk, or managed equities, managed risk equities, also explore annuity solutions and active bond managers as alternatives to try to do something different with that conservative part of your money. And that's our Money Rundown for the week. And now for the best thing I saw this week. Of course, you know what I mean, the most thought-provoking thing I saw this week. This week I saw a Facebook post. Mosquitoes kill more people in a day than sharks kill in a hundred years. Again, mosquitoes kill more people in a day than sharks do in a century. Bill Gates wrote about it in his latest blog, and it's one of the reasons why his Gates Foundation targets diseases like malaria. I honestly was caught a little off guard by this statistic. 1,300 plus people per day 
are killed by mosquitoes. And a thousand people have been killed by sharks over a hundred years. And yet I'm more scared to swim in the ocean than of hanging out on the lake in Minnesota where the state bird is the mosquito. Now I understand these stats are a little skewed. Not many people in the United States are dying of malaria. This is a third world problem, right? Then I came across another article, animals more likely to kill you than a shark. Less than six people per year are killed by sharks, one person per year in the United States. And they get all the blockbuster attention, right? Big blockbuster movies like Jaws or a new one came out recently this summer, The Meg, The Mega Shark. Well, 130 people a year in the United States are killed by deer. 130 people killed by deer. 40 people a year are killed by dogs. 22 killed by cows. What are we afraid of that we shouldn't be? What are we afraid of in our retirement that we shouldn't be? What are some of the most irrational fears that I hear people talking about? I meet with thousands of people every year and I meet with some very interesting people with some very interesting theories. And with talking with people one-on-one, I think there's things that people are fearful of that they maybe shouldn't be. What are some of those irrational fears? One, that the banks are all going to go bust, that the banks are all going to go out of business. That's not going to happen. We've got the strongest currency in the world, and they can print more money if they need to. In 2008, it was about as big of a shock to the banking system as you'll ever see in your lifetime. I mean, we were teetering on some major, major stuff, and some banks went out of business. They did. But I think seeing another financial crisis like you saw in 2008, probably not going to happen in your lifetime. Two, Social Security is going to go broke and my benefits will all go away. Again, I think it's an irrational fear. Social Security is going to have some challenges ahead, but they're fixable. And it's likely going to come at the cost of younger retirees. They're going to raise the age of retirement. They could adjust inflation. They could do means testing for higher, more wealthy people. But it's not going away. Social Security is the third rail of politics. They'd be more likely to print money and give it out as a benefit before they're going to get rid of it. So I think thinking that it's just going to disappear is an irrational fear. Number three, annuity companies are going to go broke. When people are looking at different investments, that's one of their concerns, that an annuity company can go out of business. Thinking that they're all going to go broke, that's just not true and not likely. They've weathered 2008 even better than the banks. AIG had an annuity business. They went bankrupt and sold that business to MetLife. Annuities are safe. Look at the strength of the insurance company that's backing it, but it's a safe and profitable business to the company. And even in the case of AIG, when they went out of business, they were able to sell it to MetLife and continue those contracts for the contract owners. Irrational fear number four, that stocks are just paper and they're not worth anything. I've heard this before. The whole financial system depends on equities and stocks having value. That's not going to change. It has value because we say it does, just like paper money does. Stocks have value because we say they do. Paper money has value because we say that it does. But stocks value is even more than that, right? These are companies that produce things, that create things, that own intellectual property, and that's not going to change. To think that it's just paper and they're going to go up in smoke is really an irrational fear. Irrational fear number five, gold is the only safe currency and the dollar is not going to be worth anything soon. Again, I think it's an irrational fear. People have been talking up gold for decades. People that have been investing in gold over the past five, 10 years have had kind of a brutal awakening. And I got to be honest with you, in a worst case scenario where our entire financial system falls apart, I probably would rather have ammunition or food than I would gold. 
You can't eat gold. And in all seriousness, gold, it's okay to have some. I've just seen too many people lose their butts on something that doesn't even pay a dividend. The financial system isn't going anywhere. And we just talked through some of my top irrational fears. Here are some of the things that you should legitimately fear instead of these irrational ones. One, that you're going to live too long. People don't think about it. But with changing technology and medical innovation, who knows how long you're going to live? 100, 120, 130? This could be realistic stuff here with changing technology, and you want to make sure you have enough money to go the distance. Two, what are some real fears you should be thinking about? Number two, is market volatility going to mean that you run out of money? This is a real fear that people just don't think enough about. They've forgotten about it because we've had 10 years of amazing performance in the market. If the market tanks and you're retired and you're pulling money out, you can run out of money in your retirement. Let's talk about rational fear number three, that you'll keep pace with inflation. That's a rational fear. Is your money going to earn enough to keep up with inflation? I've got plenty of people that are so scared they won't invest in the stock market. They'll put their money under a mattress. But the fear that they should really be thinking about is by keeping it under a mattress, it's not growing. As inflation continues to go, it becomes worth less and less every year you keep it underneath that mattress. So it's a more rational fear to be concerned about inflation than it is to be concerned about the integrity of our financial system. Number four, a rational fear, will you leave anything for your heirs? Will anything be left over for your heirs? That's a rational fear. Because the amount of money it's going to take for your lifestyle, for your vacations, for your health care, for the things that you have to pay for. Rational fear number five, will you avoid the big mistakes? Will you avoid the big mistakes? I see investors making big mistakes all the time. They take all their money out of their 401k and convert to a Roth IRA in one year. Terrible mistake. Puts you in a super high tax bracket and you end up paying a bunch in taxes. Pulling all your money out to buy a second home. Had someone do that. They pulled up 400000 and they had to pay the government two hundred grand in taxes for their tax bill. Avoid those big mistakes. And you should be uh, careful that you don't make those big mistakes. Another one that people don't think about is their income tax mistakes. By withdrawing just $1 over certain thresholds, it can make your Social Security taxable at 50% or can make 85% of your Social Security taxable. So make sure you're avoiding those big mistakes. And that's the best thing I saw this week. And now for our Scott Strategy segment. Earlier in the show, we talked about the characteristics of someone worthy of your trust. And hopefully, it gave you some help as you choose a professional that's right for you. In today's Scott Strategy segment, we're going to talk about misguided trust. What are the top areas of misguided trust? Number one, you trust yourself too much. If you don't trust a professional, you are by default trusting yourself to do the job of a professional. If you have the time, maybe you can do it. But you'd never hire yourself for a medical procedure. You'd never operate on yourself. Retirement planning is complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. And it's more difficult than just growing your money. You need to talk to somebody and trust someone, even with just a piece of your portfolio. Retirement planning is a profession for a reason. Managing your money in your 30s or 40s, pretty easy. Low-cost ETFs. Long-term growth is your biggest concern. Don't pull out. 
But in retirement, it's more complicated. And you want to make sure you've got a professional around you that can at least give you a second opinion. Misguided trust number two. You trust your advisor because they've made you money. Big mistake. Big mistake. You shouldn't be trusting your advisor just because they've earned you money. Everyone's been making money over the past 10 years. What you want to be asking is how they do in 2008 when the market's down over 50%. How they do in 01 when the market's down over 50%. That's more important. And there's a lot of things that you'd be looking at regarding trust for your advisor. Just them making you money is not enough. Misguided trust number three. You trust your advisor is looking at the whole picture. Are they really? Are they really looking at the whole picture? Has your advisor talked to your tax professional? Have they talked to your estate planning attorney? Do they talk to you in December about if you're in a high tax bracket or a low tax bracket? You think that they're looking at the whole picture, but are they? Do you have an income plan? Have you laid out an income plan with them for the next five years, for the next 10 years, for the next 20 years in retirement? Are they really looking at the whole picture or are they just looking at your investments? You need to challenge them on that and make sure your trust is not misguided. Misguided trust number four, you trust because they're a friend or a referral. Is your advisor a friend? Is your advisor the way that you met them from a referral? Do you trust them more because of that introduction? It's okay to give them a little benefit of the doubt. It's okay to give them a little bit of trust because they've had a relationship with you in the past, because you don't think they're going to screw you over, that they may have some of your best interest at heart. But it doesn't mean that you go in blindly. It doesn't mean that you blindly trust. You need to trust but verify. Isn't it Reagan that said that? Trust but verify. It's okay to give someone some trust. But just because they're a referral or just because they're a friend, you still need to hold those professionals accountable in your life. Make sure they're looking at the whole picture and make sure that they're doing what's in your best interest. Misguided trust number five. You trust because of how you feel. How you feel. You pick an advisor because of how you feel. Man, that's a big mistake. That is misguided trust. Having a good feeling is important. You should have some element of trust with your feelings, but it can't just be about trust. Are they independent? Are they qualified? Do they understand your entire picture? Are they prepared for the next recession? These are questions you have to ask them. It can't just be a feeling. A feeling is an important component. It's okay for it to be part of the equation and part of how you make your decision, but it can't be the only reason. Misguided trust number six, you don't trust anyone and have a rational fear. That's misguided trust. You don't trust anybody. You miss opportunities. You don't keep up with inflation. You're paralyzed to make the right decisions, so you keep on doing the same thing. You're not positioned for the future. You're continuing to do what's been done. You need to be thoughtful. You need to be deliberate. And you need to make sure that you're not being paralyzed by having a rational fear. Doing the same thing that you've been doing is making a decision. And it goes again back to trusting yourself just a little bit too much. Have some courage. Analyze your options. Go into retirement with your eyes open. Make sure that you looked at different ways you can position your retirement, your investments, your taxes, your estate plan, and then make the best decision you can. I say this to people all the time, but the process of investing, 
The process of investing is one of continual improvement. All you can do is keep getting better with the information that you have. Keep getting better with the information that you have. Keep getting better as an investor. That's the secret to having the best retirement life. And that's our Scott Strategy segment for the week. And now for this week's listener question segment. If you want your questions answered during the show, shoot us an email. Go to info at retireewo.com, or you can visit our website, retireewo.com. Click on Ask a Question. We'd be happy to get your question answered during the show. Joining us is our producer, Angela Jugan. Angela, thanks so much for joining us. And what kind of questions do we have from some of our listeners this week? Hi, Scott, and thanks so much for that introduction. Our first question comes from Jeff in Rancho Santa Margarita. Scott, I am interviewing three advisors right now, and I'm trying to find the right fit. One is a passive manager with very low fees. The other has high fees but may have better performance, and the other only does annuities. How do I get more clarity on who would be the right fit? Jeff, first of all, kudos to you for interviewing multiple advisors. It's one of the most important things in retiring with your eyes wide open. Make sure you've talked to enough professionals and make sure that they're different enough to give you a sense of how different advisors could help manage your money. So congratulations on taking the first good step. How would you get more clarity? Well, at least have one meeting, if not multiple meetings with each one of those advisors. I think the passive manager with very low fees, you need to ask some important questions about volatility and how volatility might impact your overall performance. For the high fee advisor, challenge them on fees. See if they're willing to discount and really ask them why are their fees as high as they are? What's their rationale? What's their reasoning? Are you going to get something for that higher fee? Fees are always about value. What are you getting for the value? If you were accused of a crime and you hired an attorney to represent you, you wouldn't hire the cheapest attorney, the lowest cost. You wouldn't hire the most expensive attorney either. You would hire the one that would give you the most value, that would help you get the job done in the most effective way for the best price. So don't be scared of high fees um, if there's a reason for it, if there's justification and a rationale. And then third, you mentioned meeting with an advisor that only does annuities. Uh, I'd be a little bit careful of that. Um, Maybe they could help manage just the annuity portion of your portfolio. I would never recommend someone have all of their money in annuities. There's just not enough liquidity. Um, having an annuities be a part of your plan could make sense. You know, another thing you could think of is if you like two of them, have two of them work with you. You don't have to have all of your money with one advisor. You can have more than one advisor if you need to. I think for getting more clarity, go over some of the things that we mentioned earlier in the show about what would help give you more trust. What's their reputation in the community? And make sure you take that checklist when you're meeting with each one of them. Hopefully that helped, Jeff. Our next question comes from Mike in Costa Mesa, California. I've been a CD advisor for 10 years since the last recession. I feel like I missed this bull market and now I'm nervous to get back in. How am I supposed to trust anyone with my money with this market ready to turn over at any time? Mike, what an important question. Thank you for sending it. Um, You're not the first person I've run into that's having to deal with this, right? You've 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 missed this run up since 2008. You've missed this 10-year bull market, longest on record, and you're wondering what to do now. 
Um, what I would say is you don't have to get in with both feet. Get in with one foot. Get in the shallow end of the pool. Start investing 10%, 25%, 50% of your portfolio in the market and dollar cost average into it. Don't put it all in today because the market could turn south. So you have to be very careful. The other thing is look very closely at the volatility of any position that you're buying into. Whether it's an individual stock like Amazon or Facebook, whether it's an ETF, whether it's a mutual fund, or whether it's a professional money manager, you want to look at how they've been doing over the past 10 years, but you also are going to want to look very closely at how they've handled the previous recessions because that'll give you a little comfort level in how they may be able to handle the next one. Right? It's not a guarantee of how they're going to handle the next recession, but it gives you some sense of how they'll handle it. And again, put one foot in the pool. Right, It's not all in or all out. Put one foot in the pool and keep trying to improve your investment position. Hope that helped. And our final question is Joanne in Seal Beach, California. Is it okay to have more than one advisor in retirement? I met with an advisor recently and they said that they'd only work with me if I gave them my entire financial picture to work with. Is that a red flag? Is having two to three advisors too complicated? What if I want to keep managing some of my own portfolio? Personally, for me, I think it is kind of a red flag if someone tells you, hey, it's either all me or nobody else. Um, But it doesn't necessarily have to be. It doesn't have to be if you think they're really good at what they do and if you trust them. You know, most people before retirement will have more than one advisor. Once they get to retirement, they usually will narrow down that list and have maybe one or two. You just don't want to have your life too complicated in retirement. So it's not an immediate disqualification if an advisor says that you have to work only with them. But it does make me a little bit nervous. Um you know, for myself, I play really nice with other people in the sandbox. I've got clients that we're managing 100% of their money, but we have some where we manage 50%. We have some that we manage just 25%. And I think that's okay. You know, I, I really think that there is a place for low fee uh, investing, for low fee passive investing. I think there really still is a place for that. But you have to understand how much of your portfolio should really have that strategy. And so if we're going to be more active in how we're managing your money or use some other strategies, it's okay for you to kind of split that money up. Maybe keep a quarter of it, uh, a quarter of it, um, at your old, at an old firm or with another advisor and have another advisor manage the majority. So again, I don't think it's a red flag necessarily, especially if it's an advisor that you trust. But any advisor, as well as any strategy, any investment strategy that you look at should be able to stand up to scrutiny. And to have some kind of blanket statement where it's either all or nothing, eh, not my, not my style, but again, not an immediate disqualifier. Thanks, Joanne. That's the end of our listener questions for the week. Angela, thanks so much for joining us. Again, if you want your questions answered during the show, go to our website, retireewo.com, and click on the button, Ask a Question. You can also follow us on Facebook, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I want to thank all of you so much for listening. Stay tuned next week as I continue to discuss how to retire with your eyes wide open. Don't go into retirement with your eyes closed. Retire with your eyes wide open. I'm Scott Lamborg, and we'll see you next week. 